Hello, man, and welcome to this week's installment of Everyman Livestream Study. My name is Jeremy, and I'll be your host today. Now, before we get started, I want to take a moment to welcome all of our new guys that are joining us for the very first time. You are part of an ever-growing community of men that are committing themselves to getting in, getting healthy, getting strong, and getting going. And, and not just for your own benefit, but for the benefit of the women, children, other men, and community around them. Now, speaking of those around you, I want you to take a moment and think of that one guy that has been there with you through thick and thin. The one guy that you have had his back no matter what. Got that person in mind? Well, imagine one day you're a fly on the wall and you hear him in conversation with another person and your name comes up. How would you feel if he denied knowing you or worse, talks you down? That'd make no sense and I'd imagine it'd leave you feeling hurt and confused. Well, in today's study, men's expert and pastor Kenny Luck is going to look at what Jesus expects when we're asked about our connection to him. Do we step up or do we back down? In part three of the Red Letter Warnings, Jesus warns his followers about denying their identity in Christ. So buckle up for today's message. But before we get started, I'm sure that there are some friends you could think of that would be challenged and blessed by today's study. So take a second to share this message. And don't forget to download the study notes so you can follow along with the message today. Now, let's go live to Crossline Church in Laguna Hills, California for part three of the Red Letter Warnings. I remember uh, Chrissy mentioning kind of in passing, sort of, you know, like when, you're, when your wife's like walking out of the house, it's like, oh, it'd be so good if, you know, and it's kind of like a veiled ask that's not a direct ask, but it's kind of a mention right? And the husband who is paying attention, that is a serious moment. So my wife's walking out of the house uh, through the garage, and she goes, man, I would just love to have a set of shelves there. Okay, see you later. And uh, guess what happened? And then, guess what happened? I'm just saying, you know, came back, went to Home Depot, and you know, I'm not like your journeyman carpenter, but I can handle some braces and some buttressing, and a piece of plywood, and a piece of molding. And man, when you're paying attention uh, to the words, what it communicates, and this is the big point. The big point is paying attention to words show that you're paying attention to the relationship, right? Like, so if someone's paying attention to what you say, and they're actually taking actions based on something you mention or you say, you receive that as, man, that person really cares about me, all right? And a big theme in the Bible is paying attention. Everybody say pay attention. Pay attention. You know, we're going to do what we've done each part in this series. We're going to raise the value of words. We're going to raise the value of God's words. In the Bible, 48 times it says pay attention. 48 times. And it's usually God lamenting his people not paying attention and paying a price. Because when you don't pay attention, you pay a price. Amen? Man. You know, it doesn't matter, but if the words are important and you're not paying attention, you pay a price for not paying attention to the words. And so in the Bible, we, we, we see the words of Jesus, and that's why we're doing the red letter warnings, you know, is that we got to pay attention. Uh, look at what it says there at the top of your notes. Let's read uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 together. Ready? We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Wow, we do not drift away. You see the connection? Paying attention is synonymous with closeness. Not paying attention is synonymous with what? Distance. 
Yeah, you're going to drift. So if you're paying attention to a relationship, you're, being, you're paying attention to what is said. And when you're paying attention to what is said, you're getting closer to that person. If you're not paying attention to what is said, you are just drifting away. And man, it's subtle, isn't it? Yeah. It's very subtle. And so uh, we're going to, like I said, we're going to do what you know, we've done every time. We're just raising the value of God's words. And when God speaks, we listen, all right? And here's why. Number one, all words in my life are not equal. All words in my life are not equal. Let's look at the words of Jesus in Luke 6, 46. Let's read that together. Ready? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? That's a statement of expectation. So if you claim, that's a claim versus the reality, right? Jesus has uh, an expectation that when he talks, you're paying attention and that you're actually acting on the things that he says. Number two, all words in my life are not eternal. Okay, all words in my life are not equal, all right? Second, all words in my life are not eternal, all right? Let's read Luke 21, 33 together. Ready? Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. How many of you guys have ever played poker? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you guys know what all in is? Okay, that's when you go like this. All right? That's when you put all the chips in the middle of the table. That's an all-in statement by Jesus. Heaven and earth are going bye-bye, but my words will never pass away. So to the person paying attention, you put all your energy and investment onto the table of Jesus' words. You're all in. That's basically an all-in statement that Jesus is making, all right? Third, all words in my life are not empowered, all right? All words are not equal. All words are not eternal. All words are in my life. They're not empowered. There's a very famous passage of scripture, John 8, 31 and 32. A lot of people, a lot of people like to quote and say John 8, 32, but the context of John 8, 32 is John 8, 31, all right? Let's read John 8, 31 and 32 together. Ready? Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You see, not all words in my life have that power. Truth transforms you when you trust it. And truth comes from the lips of Jesus. And you want to know what freedom is? Freedom is when you are 100% sure that the words that you're hearing, you can live out. That's when you're free. When I know that when I receive words that are spoken to me, and then I can, with energy and confidence, I can live those out, that's true freedom. Why? Because I know it's true. Because I know the words of Jesus are true. You ever had that conversation with yourself? Where you just go, man, what that person said is true, I am going to act on what that person has said because I know that I know that I know that that's true, all right? That's real freedom. That's why I wake up every day and I just go, man, I need, I need freedom. If you're going to be free, you got to have the right truth in your life and you need to act on the right truth in your life. So not all words are equal. Not all words are eternal. Not all words in my life are empowered. And then this is the kind of the, the last sort of theme on paying attention. All words in my life do not end a matter. 
you know, there's people, there's a lot, I mean, especially in our culture today, all the voices, all the opinions, all the pundits, all the media, all, you know, I mean, you just get bombarded with everybody's opinions, social media, but guess what? You'll hear a lot of things, but when Jesus talks, you hear the truth on the thing that is being talked about. And I just cherry-picked one of these moments, but he says it a lot. Like in uh, Matthew chapter 5, he says, You have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So you hear Jesus say, well, you know what? Here's what everybody's saying. But I tell you, that ends the matter because he's God. He's the son of God. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about, hey, this is how you think about anger and murder. This is what I say about anger and murder. This is how you think about adultery and sex and lust. This is what I say about adultery, sex, and lust. This is what you hear about worry in the culture out there. This is what I say about worry, right? This is what uh, the culture says about keeping your commitment and what you do when you make an oath or a commitment. This is what I say, right? And so when Jesus speaks, it's the end of the matter. Now, we're not used to being so unequivocal in a democracy, right? Because not all words are equal, but guess what? With Jesus, all words are not equal. His words are empowered. His words are eternal. And his words, because he's God, end the matter, right? So that's kind of a setup. We do this every time in the red letter warnings. We want to raise the value of Jesus' words. And today's theme is kind of like, you got to pay attention, right? Paying attention is important. And not just paying attention with your ears, you got to pay attention with your energy, all right? So let's, let's take a look at the next red letter warning, all right, from Jesus himself. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the passage, it's in Matthew 10, and then we are going to camp here, all right? We're just going to stay here, and then we're going to go verse by verse right through Matthew chapter 10. So I want you to kind of put on, you know, I'm just going to say it. Put on your listening ears, all right, and just kind of lean in and listen for what Jesus is saying. It's a warning against denying your identity in Christ. These are some of the stronger words of Jesus to his guys. He says to them, the student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body, in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before others, whoever not acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. 
Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Let's finish it together. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Wow. Now that is a warning. That is one of those pay attention, listen up, discern what this means, and we're going to unpack it right now. And the first thing that Jesus wants to get, us, get across to us with respect to our identity is this. My identity in Christ involves the experiences of Christ. Write that down. My identity in Christ involves the experiences of Christ. So you've got student and teacher, servant and master, head of the family, and members of the household. All right? And he's, and he's saying this is not one of those distant, abstract things. Those relationships are like this. Whatever happens to the one happens to the other. Right? It's not enough. Right? I mean, it is enough for students to be like versus not above. All right? So there's a lot of people who come to the faith and they see, oh, there's Jesus, and he died for my sin, and he was rejected of men, right? And then you go, I love the part about the forgiveness of the sins and the home in heaven and a purpose for living, but that whole rejection of men thing, yeah, I won't experience that, right? That's baloney from the Greek word baloney. It's just Jesus is kind of dialing them in to the reality of what it means to know him, right? Student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants to be like their masters. Listen to this. If the head of the house is called Beelzebub, how much more are the members of his household? All right, say this with me. What happens to Jesus will happen to me. Yeah, you know, Beelzebub was a slur in Jesus' time. I mean, it was like someone calls you the devil, you know, and, and that's what they started doing for the followers of Jesus. They started labeling them, all right? There's a lot of that going on in today's culture. You know, if you believe in Jesus, you're a bigot, you know? There's a lot of labeling that's going on, and, and, it, and it's because man doesn't like God controlling their lives, right? And then you're saying, there is God, and he controls my life. And you know what? One day you're going to stand before him, and they just, they just don't want to have anything to do with that. And so they, they put a label on you, and when you put labels on other people and you make ad hominem attacks, it's to create distance from you, right? So that's the first thing Jesus wants to know. My identity in Christ involves the experiences of Christ, and what that means specifically in this passage is active or passive persecution. The authentic Christian, just living their life out for Jesus, will experience active or passive persecution. I've been in the active persecution places behind the Iron Curtain in the 80s. I've been to parts of South America where if an indigenous person converts and becomes a leader for Jesus in their tribal community, the warlords cut out their tongue just to send a message. Been in those places. In our, in our country, in countries in the West, you know, we have, we have functional, reasonably functioning democracies where there's freedom of religion, all right? 
But then there's just the culture, all right? We may have the freedom, then there's the culture, right? And the culture starts, starts, starts lobbing grenades at people who follow Jesus. So that's the first thing. You got to make your peace with that, all right? And, and Jesus is saying to his disciples, you got to make your peace with that. I know it's uncomfortable, but you know, there's a lot of language in here about, about you know, don't, there's some perspectives here that he wants to unpack. And the next thing he wants to unpack is that my identity in Christ will be pressured to go private. You're going to be in situations where either it's not cool, it's not, it's not the right dynamic, it's not um, culturally right to represent Jesus in a particular situation, in a particular issue, or whatever. And, and Jesus is saying, hey, guess what? That's going, to, that's going to happen. And in that moment, Jesus says this. Look on your notes below the fill-in. Let's read it together. Let's look at what he says. In that moment, he says, so do not be afraid of them. All right? The people or the, the situation that, that a group of people that are in, and it's pressuring you to go private with your faith. All right? A, that doesn't help you, and B, it doesn't help them. And see, it says something about your relationship to Jesus and what that means to you, right? In the face of that pressure, you know, we're tucking our faith into our spiritual pants, man. We're just, we're just putting it away because it's just, we don't want, we don't want the emotion, you know, of it. Guess what? You're not helping you and you're not helping the other person. Look at what Jesus said to his guys in John chapter 15, verse 19, one of the last huddles that he had. Uh, Let's read that together. Ready? If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, and that is why the world... Okay, that's a strong word. That is why the world hates you. Culture hates Christ. Culture hates Christ. Because in culture, you have godless ways of being and believing and behaving that don't want to consider the words of Jesus, that don't want to consider God. You know, in culture, you've got hedonism and narcissism and materialism, and those are, those are ways to be and believe and behave that are without God. And if you have God, you have something to say about all that hedonism, narcissism, and materialism, all right? Comes from your relationship with Christ, comes from God's word, puts it into perspective, but it's a buzzkill, right, to culture, right? You know, and I, and I, I, I get it. You know, I, I'm, not, I'm not a guy who stands on a street corner with a sign and says that if you don't know Jesus, you're going to hell. I'm not one of those guys. I'm not one of those guys that, that is abrasive and feels like I can't season my language with a little salt and ask good questions and all of that. But there is a point in the conversation when you need a spiritual spine, all right? Jesus doesn't make invertebrates as followers, by the way. You know what we call those? Jellyfish, Okay? But Jesus is saying, hey, look, you know, you're, I, what I experience, you're going to experience, and you're going to be pressured to go private, and blending with culture is not the mark of a follower of Jesus. It's just not. That's why he calls us the light of the world. That's why he calls us, you know, salt and light, all right, is that we're seasoning, we're influencers, right? And the way I look at this, I'm, you know, I love the NFL draft. I just like seeing guys get drafted onto a team, you know, and they walk out there and there's the commissioner, and they put on the hat, and they show the jersey. It's just like, this is my team. This is the team I'm on. This is the uniform I'm wearing. I'm all in. I have a playbook. I'm going to be running these plays, right? You're on a new team. When you gave your life to Christ, he purchased your contract with his blood. 
and you're on his team. And it just doesn't make any sense that a guy who gets drafted onto a team wears, you know, says, hey, publicly, this is who I am, and then you know, shows up you know, at another team's game and says, I'm here, coach, ready to play. It's like you're not on the team, right? Culture does not like Christ's control over your life and wants to re-recruit you back onto its team, all right? And Jesus is saying, hey, in that moment, don't be afraid of them, all right? What else does Jesus want us to know about our identity? The next thing he wants us to know is that my identity is tracked by God. What does that mean, Kenny? It's like, what's he doing? Well, all it means is that in the end, everybody look up here. At the end of your life, right? God has tracked every time you have said no to broken male culture and said yes to Christ. That's all that means. That's why Jesus says in the passage, let's read it together, right? Verse 26b, ready? For there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. Man, that's confidence builder. That makes caving before men stupid. It does. When you know that in the moment, under the pressure, when I choose Christ, God's watching, God's remembering. God's recording, and God is going to validate and honor and reveal to the whole world that that decision that you made in that moment, that was the right decision. And he, that's why Jesus said, hey, there's nothing uh, that's concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. He's going to validate your decision. He's going to honor your decision. Right? He's going to make it known to the world that in that moment, you made the right choice. Right? That's a confidence builder. Right? Next, Jesus wants his disciples to know that, that their identity in Christ is to be revealed regularly. To be revealed regularly. To get that across, he says this. Let's read it together, verse 27. Ready? What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Wow. Do you notice how a relationship with Jesus assumes dialogue, interaction, exchange, transformation, and proclamation? He assumes that this relationship is changing you. Now, guys, you know, when, when, when you're dating a gal or, or whatever, just like, hey, are you going out with that person? Yeah. And you talk about it. You talk about the people who are important to you. That's what Jesus assumes. That's a normal assumption for a relationship, that if it's important to you, you talk about it, right? And it's convicting to me. How about you? It's convicting. And Jesus says, hey, what, what we talk about, what, what, we, what you learn privately when I reveal things to you, because knowing Jesus is a process of revelation, He's going to tell you about God's will. He's going to tell you about yourself. He's going to tell you about his plans. He's going to tell you uh, things that you should do, maybe things that you should stop doing. And, and, and you know what he expects? This is another statement of expectation. Hey, would I tell you in the dark? Speak in the daylight. Are we public about this relationship? I mean, the guys then didn't have Facebook. It wasn't official, but he was just saying, make it official. Make it official. Line up with me, right? See, relationship with Jesus assumes revelation from Jesus and expression of what is revealed, okay? So we're just moving along in this powerful conversation. Then next, he talks about how my identity in Christ places God 
above man. And we get to that, one of my favorite, actually one of my favorite passages of scripture, because it puts men in context, right? Peer pressure puts that in context, puts culture in context. Let's read uh, verse 28 together. Ready? Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Now, this illustrates a very important point in any person's walk with Christ. And that is, is that my life in God before men reflects my view of God. If you have an inaccurate view of God, your life in God before men will be diluted. If you're not clear, and Jesus is making it clear. He's just saying, hey, don't be afraid of people who when your ticker stops and you, you, you go to heaven, don't be afraid of people who are not going to be there with you in that moment. There's only going to be one person that's going to be with you in front of you in that moment. It's going to be Christ. And he's just saying, hey, put, kind of trying to put it into uh, perspective, all right? Say this with me. There's no better uh, cure for the fear of man. There's no better cure for the fear of man than the fear of God. There's no better cure for the fear of men and what they think than the fear of God, a healthy fear of God, an accurate fear of God, a respectful fear of God, a reverent fear of God. I know my God. He is awesome in power. If you want to look at not the lamb, because we know the lamb, the lamb came to, to earth and died for our sins and forgave us. You want to see the lion? Crack your Bible open and read Revelation 19 and see the lion in action. It is a terrifying and awesome thing to be in the presence of that man, Jesus, the one on whose leg is written faithful and true and who's riding a clouds of thunder and out of his mouth come fire when he comes to judge a world. It's crazy. But my identity in Christ, because I have an accurate view of Christ, it puts men in context. So live light on earth, live your life on earth in light of who determines your eternity. That's, that's basically what Jesus is saying, right? And the conversation sort of rolls on, and we get to the next thing about my identity in Christ, and, and that is that my identity in Christ thrives on God's caring awareness of me, all right? There's God's justice, and I would say that would have put the fear of God into anybody. Hey, don't fear the people who can just kill the body. Fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. And that's kind of God's justice. Hey, we serve a just and a, and a holy and a righteous God. But guess what? Balancing his justice is mercy and love and care. He loves us. So Jesus kind of he hits them with the steel, and then he comes with the velvet. He says, uh, here, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Now, sparrows were like, you know, birds and trees that flutter around, you know, in the Hebrew mind. It was like, those are worthless. Okay. And Jesus is just going, hey, guess what? Even those worthless things, God takes care of even the worthless. 
He gives them trees and things to eat, and he provides for them. And then he's just going, you know what? You compared to a sparrow, you're a creation of God. You're a child of God. You're a child of your father. You are worth so much more. And here's the thing, guys. Here's the math of living fearlessly for Christ. All right, when your peace and worth come from a knowledge of God's love and acceptance of you, right? You don't need to chase the acceptance of culture or people. Amen? When you know that you know that you know God loves me, God accepts me, God forgives me, God knows me, all right? And I'm going to stand before God, and that's where my peace and worth come from. Then you're free from all that broken male insecurity that has to puff everything up and act all macho, all right? And do stupid things to get the approval of men or to get position or power or control, in certain situations. No, God loves me. And so I'm not worried about what you think about me. And I can say that, you know, I've been walking with the Lord for 36 years. I could care less what you think about me. The only person that I think about when I say words and take an action is my Lord Jesus Christ. And can I encourage you to think like that? Not because I say it, because the Bible encourages it. Just remember that. You don't need to fear men. Um, why? Because my identity thrives on God's caring awareness of me, right? God's saying, hey, this is who I am. I'm a caring, loving God that thinks you're worth a lot, All right? And I'm also that, that God who is totally just. And because you put your faith in my son, you've escaped my justice, all right? And you've received my mercy, all right? And that should make you so secure on the inside. There is no risk before men that you wouldn't be willing to take. That's, that's the whole point. So he's got to prepare his followers, just like, hey, just remember, I care about you. Yes, I'm that righteous, holy, just God, but I'm also a God of mercy, and you've received my mercy through me, and that's going to give you your, your peace and worth, all right? That should cure the waffleitis, right? Vacillating, waffling, back and forth, with behaviors and acting certain ways in certain settings and all of that. No, God's love and acceptance of you should make you rise above that so that you walk in power, right? The next thing Jesus wants his guys to know is that their identity in Christ is validated when they acknowledge Christ. My identity in Christ is validated when I acknowledge Christ. And Jesus uses a word here, and in some translations, it's acknowledge. In other translations, it's confess. Uh, and I'll just give you, you know, a cherry-picking example. Like when Peter is following at a distance, when Jesus is getting crucified, and then a little girl says, hey, aren't you with him? And then he reacts. He does not acknowledge Christ. He denies Christ in that moment. Right? Now, that's an extreme example that we all know. It. But, you know, you don't have to be confronted about your identity in Christ to deny Christ. Now, you can just keep your mouth shut. You can just not be in certain places at certain times. You can withdraw silently from conversations and not have anything to say. When you're a man of God and you have the truth at, at your disposal. All right? Look at what Jesus says here, verses 32 and 33. Let's read it together. Whoever acknowledges me before others, 
I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. All right? Key thing is before others. See, my identity in Christ is validated when I acknowledge Christ. All right? There's a funny movie. It's called Fool's Rush In. It has Selma Hayek and Matthew Perry in it. And he starts dating Selma Hayek, and they're, kind of, they're, they're together. And then his parents surprise visit him, and she answers the door. And he doesn't say to his parents that he's with her, all right? And there's some kind of ethnic stereotypes that are going, right? And his dad calls her the housekeeper, like, oh, you have a really good-looking housekeeper. And he doesn't say a thing. And it's just one of those moments where then she comes to him after they leave. And she's just like, I thought you told him. I thought you said something, right? You see, the, the closeness of the relationship comes with acknowledgement of the relationship. You know? I mean, how, how would you feel... You know, let's, let's get back in the time travel machine, you know, before the ring came on and you were dating someone and, and then you went into a group and they do this in the movies all the time. It's like, oh, this is my, oh, this is my friend, you know, this is not the person I'm seeing or the person I'm dating. It's just, oh, this is my friend, you know, wow, that hurts people, you know, and so when we fail to acknowledge Jesus and his importance in our lives. Don't you think that he feels that? Don't you think he senses that? Don't you think that he might just go, wow, I, you know, there's no reciprocity here. I gave it all for him. I went all the way for him. I sacrificed my life for him. And wow, okay. And when Jesus says this, you know, he's just, he's not saying anything that we don't understand and know at a very personal and meaningful level, right? A secret Christian is an oxymoron. Keyword, moron. I'm just saying. I don't know anybody else in my life who said yes to torture for me. You know, when when someone gets the Medal of Honor, it's because they put their life in danger for other people. You know, they acknowledge that uh, publicly. And, you know, when I personally, when I read this, what I hear Jesus saying is, you know, what, what Jesus is to me on earth, I will be to him in heaven. What Jesus is to me on earth, I will be to him in heaven. Wow, if I prioritize Jesus Christ on earth, he's going to prioritize me in heaven. It's just a simple relational principle of reciprocity, you see? And if you're playing Jesus for a fool on earth, right? That's those hard words we read in Matthew 25. I never knew you. You didn't claim me? I don't claim you. Wow. And I, and I know that that's heavy, but, you know, Jesus is asking for a real relationship, not some synthetic, you know, thing that's not real. 
In every relationship, you want reciprocity. Say reciprocity. reciprocity. Yeah, and that just means that, hey, if I'm in it, you're in it. And we're in it in private, and we're in it in public. We're just in it, right? And what you mean to me, I mean to you. And when I acknowledge you, you acknowledge me. You know, it's like me after 31 years of marriage, you know, denying that I'm married to Chrissy. Holy cow, no way, Jose. Not going to happen. And so all Jesus is wanting is reciprocity and, and what Christ is to me on earth, I'll be to him in heaven. And so if that puts the fear of God into you, let it. He just wants reciprocity in any relationship. It's the claim versus the reality. And that's where I think we're all going to be surprised. I think we're all going to be surprised in that moment where, you know, Jesus examines us, you know, and was there a real relationship there, you know, on earth? Well, then there's a real relationship with heaven and it goes on forever. And here's the thing, you don't know 100%. I mean, I, I, have, I have it on good authority what's going to happen. <laughs> and I, I, I stand with both feet on Jesus' pro- promises, you know, and I'm assured because when I read his word by faith, it says nothing shall separate me from the love of God. And that gives me great comfort, all right? And then I balance that out with Hey, but you know, in the end, who's the discerner and judge of the claim versus the reality? It's Jesus. It's Jesus, right? So that's the the real warning right there. We just did it in that fill-in in verses 32 and 33. The rest was just kind of like, you know, a build-up to that, that my identity in Christ involves the experiences of Christ, specifically persecution, that my identity in Christ will be pressured to go private. It's tracked by God. It should be revealed regularly. What happens in private should become public. That my identity in Christ places God above man. It thrives on God's caring awareness of me and is validated when I acknowledge Christ. That's why Jesus gets into the language of the, uh, of the next passage and, and what he's saying here, and this is our final point, is that my identity in Christ is the dividing line for all my choices. Everyone say dividing line. Dividing line, yeah. My identity in Christ is the dividing line for all my choices. You know, when Jesus asks for a relationship, he doesn't ask for a kind of relationship, a sort of relationship. He asks for it all. I want all your heart. You know what that means? All your affections, all your hopes, all your dreams, right? All of your emotion, all of your passion. I want all of your soul. I want the very center of you. All your strength. That's your energy. All your mind, right? I want it all. I don't want some. I don't want parts. I don't want to be compartmentalized into a little box that you pull out once a week or twice a week, right? I want, I want your whole life. And my identity in Christ is the dividing line for all my choices. Listen to how Jesus finishes out this red letter warning. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. I'm going to stop there. When you mention the word sword in the Bible, when you're on the business end of a sword, something ends. Now listen to how he follows up. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow, follow me is not worthy of me. 
Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Wow. When Jesus goes after family, he knows exactly what he's doing. Because we make our families idols. And he knows that we have hearts of the father, hearts of the mom, toward the daughter. Families are, are kind of like there's God and there's family, right? And we would say that, and I think everyone here would agree with it, right? There's God, and there's my family, right? But a lot of times we act as though it's family, then God. Because we are so connected to them, so deeply tied to them, and the real acid test of your faith is when there's an issue or a situation with a family member that puts your relationship with Christ under pressure. Will you choose your family, or will you choose your faith? Will you choose them, or will you choose God? And trust me, as a pastor, I'm seeing many pastors choose their family versus choose Christ. And Jesus is saying, you know, I chose to leave my family for you. And I left heaven and I came to earth and I didn't choose my comfort. I choose death on a cross because I wanted to do my father's will. And so Jesus is being very plain, very obvious. So there's a question we need to ask ourselves. Right? And it's right on your notes. Is my identity transparent to others? What does transparent mean? Transparent means clear, obvious, and unambiguous. Let's say those three words. Clear, obvious, and unambiguous. When something's ambiguous, it's fuzzy and confusing. When it's unambiguous, it's clear and obvious. And Jesus is having that conversation. Are we together or are we not? Do you follow me or do you not? Am I the teacher and are you the student? Am I the head of the house and you're a member of my family or not? All right, all I'm asking for is reciprocity. This is the same commitment that we would ask of someone who's very dear and close to us. Do we have commitment here or do we not? And I just thank God that I'm not the judge of that claim versus the reality. You know? And so when Jesus says this, what's it intended to do? Right? It's intended to get you to say to yourself, man, am I invisible for Christ? Am I somewhat visible? Or am I totally visible? And if I'm totally visible, does that make me a weirdo? No. It means that I understand who he is, and I understand what he's done in my life, and I understand what is to come, and I understand where my future is. It shows intelligence and caring and loving for Jesus. All right? Not a weirdo if you love Jesus. You're just going, man, I just I know who he is, man, and I'm acting on who he is. See, and this is the tension. When you were a follower of Christ back then as it is now, these words travel through time because they're transcendent and eternal, and they are hitting your heart right now. And it's pushing you back a little bit because, you know, in our culture, it's just like, no, everybody's opinion matters. All things are equal, you know, and we're soaking in that. No, all words are not equal. Not all words are eternal. Not all words are empowered. And not all words end a matter. Only Jesus' words do. And so that's why we're all here. I mean, sometimes I wonder why you guys keep showing up. I keep saying things like you shouldn't come back, but you do. You keep coming back. Why? Because you love Jesus. 
And I love that. I love that you're all in. I love that you push all your chips to the center of the table. I love that you love the word of God. I love that you're working it out in your families and in your context. But man, Jesus wants to tell us this morning, I know it's not easy. And I know that there's going to be tension. And I know that you're going to come to certain crossroads where you're going to go off the list of certain groups of people because you're on my team. And you're running these plays. And you fly the colors. And we talk in private. And you go public. All right? And guess what? When we say yes to that, man, I want that moment before Jesus to be an end zone dance. Amen? Amen. I want us to go, oh my gosh, I am so glad. Nothing that is concealed will not be revealed. It'll all be disclosed. God is going to honor and validate and show the world that Danny's faith on earth was important to him, that, that Mark's faith was important on earth to him, that R.C.'s faith was important to, on earth to him, that Jeff and John's faith were important on earth to, to, the, to them. And guess what? When they get to heaven, they are so important to Jesus because they lived out their identity in Christ. Let's read uh, 1 Timothy 6, verses 11 and 12 together, all right? Because this is the faith, men. This is how we think in the tension and pressure and tension and pressure has a purpose, and it's to reveal who we really are. Let's read 1 Timothy 6, 11 and 12. Ready? But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Let's bow our heads and let's ask God to make this real in our lives. God, we receive our identity as men of God, men who have said yes to the person of Jesus. Jesus, you are God. And we, as men who have said yes to the work of Jesus, Jesus, you died on a cross for my sins so that they could be washed away and that I could have your righteousness and have standing before God in heaven. We say yes again today to you, what you did. And we also say yes to your call on our lives. Lord, we want our energy to go away from the world, away from self-importance, away from self-gratification, away from lifting up self and making ourselves God. And we want our energy to go toward you, a pursuit like an athlete. We want to pursue who you are, your character, godliness, faith, love. Lord, give us endurance and just help us to remember the grace of God that we might be gentle. So Lord, we, we choose the tension. And so we're gonna fight the good fight of the faith today in the different battle zones of our lives, whether it's a marriage or a relationship with a child where we need to put you even above our family and your truth above our family. Give us your wisdom, fill us with your spirit, help us communicate our commitment to you, Jesus, and to your word and to your truth. And that's how we acknowledge our identity. Lord, there's a coworker of someone who needs to hear the gospel through several of these men. They're in a workplace. They know you. They love you. And Lord, for those coworkers, we pray for them right now. We pray that, that, that the man of God that you have strategically, tactically placed in the life of that coworker, Lord, would just go have coffee and ask good questions and just share their testimony. Lord, there's others who are just pressured to say yes to themselves and no to you. And God, we, we ask for your spirit to convict 
and your spirit to empower those men. Lord, that's what it means to take hold of the eternal life to which you've called us when we made our good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Lord, we come to you publicly and we continue to live for you publicly. Lord, thank you for these words. Thank you that you're just asking for a real relationship, not a synthetic one. And so, Lord, help us to be authentic. Help us to be confessors of Christ because you're important to us. We're with you. We're with you and we're proud to be with you. Lord, because you're our Savior and you're our God and you're our brother and you're our King and we love you. In Christ's name we pray and God's men said. We had some very notable members of the fire department step up and say, I was suicidal. Another guy said, I was struggling with post-traumatic stress. And all of a sudden we started talking about it. By not talking, we were killing ourselves. But by simply talking, which for a guy is so hard to, to open up and just really share what's on your heart and your mind because you think you're the only one struggling with it. And, and in reality, we had... Well, all of us were struggling with it.